Our next reading tonight uh, again comes from the book of Genesis and we'll be reading from chapter 21 and we'll be reading from verse 1 through to verse 21. Now the Lord was gracious to Sarah as he had said and the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age at the very time God had promised him. Abraham gave the name Isaac to the son Sarah bore him. When the son Isaac was eight days old, Abraham circumcised him and as God commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. Sarah said, God has brought me laughter and everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. And she added, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children, yet I have borne him a son in his old age. The child grew up and was weaned. And on the day Isaac was weaned, Abraham held a great feast. But Sarah saw that the son whom Hagar, the Egyptian, had borne to Abraham was mocking. And she said to Abraham, get rid of that slave woman and her son, for that slave woman's son will never share in the inheritance with my son Isaac. The matter distressed Abraham greatly because it concerned his son. But God said to him, do not be so distressed about the boy and your maidservant. Listen to whatever Sarah tells you, because it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. I will make the son of the maidservant into a nation also, because he is your offspring. Early the next morning, Abraham took some food and a skin of water and gave them to Hagar. He set set them on her shoulders and then sent her off with the boy. She went on her way and wandered into the desert of Beersheba. When the water in the skin was gone, she put the boy under one of the bushes. When she went off and sat down nearby, about a bow shot away, for she thought, I cannot watch the boy die. And as she sat there nearby, she began to sob. God heard the boy crying, and the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What is the matter, Hagar? Do not be afraid. God has heard the boy crying as he lies there. Lift the boy up and take him to take him by the hand, for I will make him into a great nation. Then God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water. So she went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. God was with the boy as he grew up. He lived in the desert and became an archer. While he was living in the desert of Paran, his mother got a wife for him from Egypt. Here ends the reading. Well, good evening. Uh, As we come to God's word, let's pray to God and ask that he will speak very clearly to us um, and that he will encourage us in our faith. And uh, if you're in the situation of experiencing uh, seeking after God, pray that you may experience also God seeking after you. Let's pray, shall we? Father, we give you thanks for your great love for us. We thank you that we come and stand before you and worship you and call you Father. Thank you for this privilege that surpasses our understanding and yet we so often forget. Forgive us for being so lukewarm in our love to you. Forgive us for being so unfaithful in our worship and service to you but also in our love 
and service to each other. And we pray, forgive us sins that we have done knowingly against you, sins that we've done unknowingly, things that we should have done that we haven't done. Father, we know we fall so far short of what you hope for us. Thank you that our standing before you doesn't depend upon us, but it's entirely your work through Jesus. And thank you for this great hope we have. We pray, open our eyes and help us see afresh this hope tonight. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. Well, the sermon uh, tonight is from Genesis 16. It's picking up the theme that Pete was preaching last week on Abraham. And uh, we're at an interesting point in Scripture when we come to these chapters on Abraham because we move from grand themes uh, and uh, things that seem perhaps a little out of touch with our everyday world into an encounter with people who are very real. One of the reasons that we should be encouraged to have confidence in Scripture is that of all ancient texts, uh, the Bible, particularly the Old Testament, is remarkable for the way in which it speaks of its heroes in such frank and and plain language. Uh, We're given passages of narrative like this in which uh, it's clear that uh, we're dealing with very real people with very real failings, and and yet we see God's grace to them and love to them. Uh, They're not made into superheroes. Maybe when you were at Sunday school, you had the experience of, uh, you know, hearing stories about the prophets, about people like Abraham, and perhaps you thought that these guys were really perfect, that they were outstanding. I seem to recall when I was younger thinking that the apostles were, you know, at that time these were perfect Christians. As we get older, of course, we realize that's not the case. Uh, I was speaking with a good friend in Istanbul uh, the other year, and... um, we're talking about the prophets in the Old Testament. I thought this was a good point of contact. And something occurred that made me realize that in our, in our faith, in our tradition, we see things a little differently. Uh, I spoke about how the prophets like Abraham were ordinary men and had failings. And my friend said, oh, no, no, the prophets, the prophets are perfect. They don't have failings. They're not like us. I mean, we, we have failings, but these are great men of faith. And I didn't push the issue any further because I thought, well, here's a, a different perspective. But in our, in our faith, we recognize that it's God who is uh, beyond reproach, God who, uh, who for us, manifests uh, uh, perfection, grace unbounded, uh, particularly through uh, the angel of the Lord, through the word of God, through Jesus Christ, uh, when we encounter God in this way. But through the prophets, for whom the word of the Lord is given, uh, we're dealing with ordinary people. And Abraham is certainly an ordinary person, I mean a remarkable person. So let's, uh, let's not... Um, get this out of proportion, uh, just a reminder, uh, I'll do some very quick homework uh, just because we're dealing with complex matters and a bit of background is useful to fill things in. But uh, uh, Hebrews 11, of course, that great passage of the heroes of the faith, those guys we hear about in Sunday school that are heroes um, and they're described as heroes quite rightly. We're told that by faith Abraham went out, that by faith he made his home in a promised land that he was looking for a city with foundations whose architect and builder is God, and that by faith, when he was past age, and and Sarah as well, who was barren, God enabled him to become a father. And he was uh, considered faithful. Um, uh, uh, He considered God who made the promise faithful, and he trusted in God, and and a great multitude came from him. And we're told that God credited to Abraham his faith as righteousness. Uh, Not that Abraham earned his righteousness, but that By the grace of God, God put into Abraham's heart a a true faith, and it became a conduit, a means of of grace and blessing. Uh, So 
I'm going to criticize Abraham, but it's not because uh, I, I don't have a sense of his greatness and the, and the role model he is for us, but it's the nature of this topic that we, we have to get into um, uh, some of the, the uh, difficult realities. This is a passage in which there is only one hero. I'll come back to the question of who the hero is afterwards, but it's not Abraham and it's not Sarah uh, and it's not Hagar. Okay, so God had, of course, promised Abraham, and Abraham had gone out from his home, from his uh, family, his extended relatives, when he was 75 years old. Uh, the, the timing is important. Uh, God came back to Abraham periodically and reaffirmed the calling and reaffirmed the promise. So in Genesis 15, um, remember Genesis 14, I think spoke on Genesis 15 last week, uh, you might recall the background, Genesis 14, there was that really amazing episode in Abraham's life where he had to go and rescue Lot. He met with King Melchizedek, um, a, a mysterious encounter we don't really understand. And after all of those uh, quite amazing things, um, when he'd come close to death and, and had been in great adventure and God had rescued him, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision and said, do not be afraid, Abraham. Of course, his name at that stage was still Abraham. I am your shield, your very great reward. And Abraham, of course, says, well, thanks very much. I, I, I do appreciate that. This thing about the hair, you promised me um, all those years ago, and I'm just uh, wondering what will happen because I've got this guy, uh, Eliezer of Damascus, and he's lined up to be my hair. I'm not quite sure if this is what you intended. And, of course, God says, that's not the way it's uh, promised at all. Something better is to come. Well, you can understand Abraham's situation because... Uh, He's been now in, uh, in Canaan for, for over a decade. He's been waiting for God to fulfill his promise. Uh, and, of course, God's promise to him is that a great people would come from him. Um, nothing about that promise at this stage explains who the, the mother will be of uh, his son and his descendants. Um, and so Sarai, who later on, of course, is called Sarah, uh, comes to Abraham and says, you know, Maybe God helps those who help themselves. Maybe we have to do something about this promise because it's been 10 years and, uh, well, I don't know why, but God has kept me from having children. So go and sleep with my maidservant and perhaps I can build a family with her. Perhaps this is the way God will fulfill his promise. So, of course, that's what they did, um, which immediately goes very sour. We'll come back to that later on. Um, it results in Hagar, the passage we'll look at shortly, um, uh, experiencing hardship at the hands of her mistress, running off and uh, being met by the angel of the Lord, by, by God himself, the word of God. In chapter 17, the following chapter, God comes back to Abraham. We're told that at this stage he's 99 years old and he says, um, walk before me, be blameless. I will confirm my covenant with you. And he does that. But, you know, it's been, what, 14, 15 years now since that first calling. Uh, in the next chapter, we're told uh, that, remember, Abraham has this visitation of three men, three angels coming to him. One of them is the angel of the Lord. Uh, where's your wife? Well, she's in the tent. Next time when I come back, she will be with child. Sarah overhears and she laughs. She's confronted. She says, I didn't laugh. But the angel, uh, the Lord God himself, who sees, said, you were laughing. Um, then we're told in chapter 21, the second reading we had tonight, that God fulfilled his promise to Sarah. She was with child, and uh, she called him Isaac, which means he laughs. And uh, 
She goes on to say, God has bought me laughter and everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. Who would have thought this would happen? Uh, she was chastised by the angel of the Lord for laughing in, in disbelief. Now when the sun comes, she calls him who laughs and she makes this play on words about laughter because it is a remarkable thing. She's 90-odd years old. Abraham is 100 years old. Uh, there's many odd things about these passages we don't understand. One of them is this question of age. Um, we don't know how it is that Abraham lived to 175. What we do know in the previous chapters that Abraham had for a second time uh, kind of fibbed about the fact that uh, Sarah was his sister because he thought that one of the wealthy men or the king of the land, in this case uh, Abimelech, might take a fancy to her and it would be better off if he said that he was... She was his sister. So she must have been pretty good looking at that point, is my point. You know, she, something about the aging process here is moving in strange directions. But it's meant very clearly for us to understand that she's in menopause. I mean, she's gone beyond the age of childbearing. So what happens when she conceives is quite miraculous. Um, exactly how it is that people live so long then, we're, we're not told those details. Um, but we can look at those ages and assume that um, they don't correspond exactly with those figures as we would see them today. So... When Isaac, for example, gets married at the age of 40, it wasn't because he was a slow learner, but things moved a bit more slowly generally in those times. But still, Sarah was well and truly past childbearing. However uh, good her complexion, whatever cosmetics she was using, it was miraculous. Um, We find then, after this great joy of Isaac, he's been born, he's been weaned, they have a great feast, to drive home this point that God has been gracious, and uh, Sarah gets upset she thinks that, um, that Ishmael is making fun of Isaac. It's not clear exactly what happens. Um, and she says, get rid of that slave woman and her son, for that slave woman's son will never share in the inheritance with my son Isaac. And the matter, of course, greatly distressed Abraham because it concerned his son. God said, don't be distressed. I'll look after him. I'll make him into a great nation as well. But, but listen to Sarah and send them away, uh, which she does with... Um, almost dire consequences because uh, they've gone off into the desert. She's moved westwards towards Egypt. She's of Egyptian heritage. She was going back to Egypt. But at one point she runs out of water, can't find a well, and gives up and expects that they both will die. When for a second time in her life the Lord comes to her, uh, the angel of the Lord, and uh, tells her that uh, the angel um, says that God has heard the boy crying as he lies there. And God opens her eyes. She sees a well of water. Uh, She hadn't seen that well that spring previously. Um, Of course, they take water. uh, They're restored. And uh, they go on. And uh, God fulfills his promise to Ishmael. And uh, Ishmael becomes a great nation. Eventually, he catches up with his father. There's some degree of reunion. Finally, when when Abraham himself is buried, it's with Isaac and Ishmael there. So there's lots to the story that we're not told. Uh, But it's, it's clearly a tough situation. And lastly, before we go on, um, the, the only other reference we find in Scripture to Hagar is in Galatians. And, of course, Paul's great theme in Galatians is urging the, the, the Christians living in Galatia to live by faith and experience the grace of God, not try and live by the law of God. And he's chastised them at length in Galatians. That's what makes it such a wonderful um, letter of, of gospel doctrinal truth. But in chapter 4 of Galatians... 
Paul is making his point this way. He says that Abraham had two sons, but one was by a slave woman and the other by a free woman. The slave woman was born, son was born in the ordinary way. In other words, a young woman, Abraham, sleeps with her, she conceives, they have a child. But his son by the free woman was born as a result of a promise. It was a miraculous thing. And he said, taken figuratively, these women represent two different covenants. One is sort of an earthly covenant. The other is the the promise of the heavenly Jerusalem and it's the promise of salvation by grace. Um, There's a whole lot more to that passage and and those images. It's not a criticism, I don't think, of of Hagar. It's just pointing out the fact that God's promise came through Isaac, not through Ishmael. Okay, a little bit more revision just to recap and get a sense of what's going on because it's important to understand why Abraham was doing what he was doing or Abraham and, and, and Sarai was doing what she was doing. So when Abraham, Abraham leaves uh, Haran uh, over in Mesopotamia, over where, much where Baghdad is today, uh, he's 75 years old. Presumably a fairly sprightly 75. Um, there are some 75-year-old brothers and sisters here who today who are quite sprightly. But Abraham was probably even more sprightly because of the way things worked differently in those days. But still, he was um, well and truly middle-aged. Um, he's made the promise, but it's not enough for another 10, 11 years later until... Uh, he has a son, and that through Hagar, Ishmael. Uh, and it's only when he's 100, 25 years after the promise, after moving to Canaan, that he finally has Isaac. So that's a long time to be waiting. Um, Sarah dies uh, another 30, 37 years later, and uh, Isaac marries, Abraham dies. We're told at the age of 175. Um, so Sarah, Sarai has died by the standards of the time a little bit prematurely. It's, it's, it's a tragedy for him. Um, the promise comes through Isaac and so when we look at Abraham's descendants Abraham, well, as God promised him would have been the father of many people he was indeed uh, the father of many children directly than many descendants through them but that blue line is the promise line through Sarai, through Isaac, uh, through, Isaac through Rebekah, through Jacob um, and then we see the, tri- the 12 uh, tribes of Israel there are many, many other people after Sarai's death he uh, marries uh, Keturah and has uh, another six um, children with Keturah, but they don't count the promise. They're not part of this story. And similarly, um, Ishmael is made into a great nation, but he's not part of this story. This story is about a promise uh, given miraculously, a birth through uh, Sarai when she was well and surely beyond the age of childbirth and uh, the, the child of promise comes. Abraham had moved around a lot during this time. He'd gone into Egypt, he'd come out, uh, he'd had that adventure rescuing uh, Lot and Lot's family, met with uh, Melchizedek, uh, received the promise. When uh, Hagar finally uh, uh, is running away from Sarah the first time, you can see, perhaps you can see, that she's down there at uh, Bir Lahairoi, uh, westwards, moving towards Egypt when that happens. Okay, well, back to our passage. Sorry for the long preamble, but it's just useful to get a sense of what's going on here. Because what goes on here is not the stuff of straightforward Sunday school lessons. It's a a story of real people making real decisions, and some of these decisions are rather poor decisions, it would seem. We're not told plainly, but that's the inference from from the facts that we are told. So uh, Sarai, Abraham's wife, had borne him no children. They'd been waiting 10 years in Canaan, so she had reason to be a little bit agitated. Uh, she had, in that time, moved well and truly past menopause, so she'd given up hope. She had an Egyptian maidservant named Hagar. According to some traditions, Hagar came of noble birth, but anyway, she was probably 
more dark-skinned than, 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 than Sarai, and um, in this totem pole, the status ranking, she was a servant, a dark-skinned servant, and um, she was not as important as Sarai. Um, but anyway, Sarai has this idea, the Lord has kept me from having children, so why don't you go and take my maidservant, and perhaps I can build a family through her. Um, so Abraham uh, took, uh, took Sarah's uh, Egyptian maidservant, Hagar, and um, Herak, uh, Sarai gave it to Abraham, and she um, became his wife. So presumably, at this stage, uh, Hagar's status changes. She becomes a wife of Abraham, but presumably a concubine, kind of a lesser wife. Now, Abraham um, is a very wealthy man at this point, and had he been like many other wealthy men, he probably would have had many wives long before this. But it appears at this point he didn't have many wives. In fact, he only had one wife. And the story of, of Abraham and Sarai, Abraham and Sarah, is really quite a love story. Um, she was stunningly good-looking, um, hence his concern that men would race off with her um, and mistakes that he made. Um, he's devastated when she dies, um, still young in his terms, um, and it appears that up to this point she's been his, his sole wife. He's deeply in love. So this is the problem. Uh, Sarai has a solution, and the solution goes bad. Uh, Abraham sleeps with Hagar, she conceived. Hagar, when she knew that she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. You can see the logic. It's very obvious that she'd been, you know, low status. Of course, she feels very proud that she is now the, in her view, perhaps the number one wife and uh, the most important person. Um, the relationship between Sarai and Hagar goes very bad. But really, I think it's to do with the relationship between Sarai and Abraham. What does she say to Abraham? She says, you are responsible for the wrong that I'm suffering. Um, you have to break this down for a minute. I put my servant in your arms, and now that she knows she's pregnant, she despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. May the Lord judge between you and me. Many conversations in marriage have this kind of theme. And uh, an aspect of this theme is that they're not necessarily, strictly speaking, rational or logical if broken down in a literal sense. Um, this was Sarah's idea, Sarai's idea, right? She said, do this, maybe I can build a family through Hagar's uh, offspring. And now she's saying, you're responsible for the, for the wrong that I'm suffering. And may God judge between you and me. I don't quite understand what's going on here, but what I think is that this woman is very much in love with her husband, and the problem is not just that Sarai has a, is expecting a child, but that marriage is, is, in, is in trouble. It's threatened. Uh, she's very uncomfortable with the situation. Uh, which brings up the question of polygamy. Uh, I won't dwell on polygamy, polygamy too long, but I'm sure you're aware that polygamy was relatively common and accepted in ancient society. It still is in many parts of the world today. Um, and in the Old Testament, we have at least 15 references to polygamy. Uh, well, uh, long story short... Every one of these narrative accounts has somebody who is unhappy and who is suffering. Uh, there is no account of polygamy in the Bible that has everyone happy. It doesn't work that way. Now, according to the Levitical law, there was a place for polygamy. Uh, God doesn't come out explicitly and say this is wrong, but in his word, every time he describes a situation with these very real people, somebody is suffering, somebody is hurt. Uh, women are competing over each other for the affection of their husband. Um, remember when, uh, when uh, Saul's son, uh, Jonathan, died and David said of, Dave, of Jonathan, he said, he was my best mate. He didn't actually use those words exactly. I'm not sure what the Hebrew was. But he said, I've never 
uh, never had uh, the friendship they've had from Jonathan from anyone. No woman has been like this. Well, strictly speaking, um, in the normal scheme of things, uh, the relationship between a man and a woman, uh, a husband and wife, is the best of friendships. Uh, it, it really is. Um, but David hadn't experienced that. Jonathan was his best friend. Why was that? I would suggest it was because David got a little bit carried away in the marriage and concubine business. And as a result, he robbed himself of the real intimacy that marriage should bring. Um, it's clear with Solomon, too, of course, that, that, uh, that polygamy uh, is in many ways Solomon's undoing. It leads him astray. These are great heroes of the faith. Um, uh, polygamy was allowed. Rich men took many wives and concubines at this point in time. But every story in the Bible, as I said, uh, has sadness to it. Um, and that's certainly the case here. So our heroes here are facing choices. Um, what does Abraham do when Sarai comes and, and says, look, you know, God judged between us, but I'm in a bad situation. It's your fault. He says, okay, his choice is to say, well, she's your servant, you know. And, and I think probably what Abraham is doing here is saying, look, yes, I've uh, taken her as a concubine. It's not clear whether the relationship carried on beneath the, uh, beyond the initial conception. But at the end of the day, she's your servant. You come first. She's second. And, and you're in charge in this relationship. So you make up your mind. Do whatever you think is best, which is understandable, but in, in some ways rather callous. Um, so Sarai has a choice, being given that green light from Abraham. She goes ahead and mistreats Hagar, which is also, um, you know, uh, not something which we can say is laudable behavior. There's something that, that both are doing wrong here, Abraham and Sarai. And then what does Hagar do? Well, she flees from Sarai. Um, the angel of the Lord confronts her in the desert and says, go back and submit to your mistress. So clearly Hagar was doing something wrong as well. All three heroes here are flawed heroes. They've made mistakes. It's a difficult situation. Um, things have got very messy. That's what happens, I would suggest, when you try for these solutions, as uh, Sarai and Abraham had tried for. In, uh, in the uh, African-American church, the black church, um, going back to times of slavery in America, which was a very real issue in America, many people found great solace in the story of Hagar. And Hagar became, for many uh, uh, Christians in America, uh, African-American Christians, a source of hope because she was the underdog. And so she became a kind of alternative hero. And today you'll find a, a number of Christian ministries uh, working trying to help women who are caught up in, 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 in sexual uh, servitude, um, people smuggling, uh, even just domestic labor in, in situations which are very tough for women coming, say, from the Indonesia or the Philippines, working in the Middle East, even working in Singapore and Malaysia. Many, many tales of sadness of young women leaving behind children in the village, husbands shot through. Uh, if you stop and meet these people and talk to them, uh, it's quite heart-wrenching to hear their stories. This uh, website is from a, a group called uh, hagarinternational.org. Um, there's an Australian branch as well. Look, I don't know anything about this organisation, so I'm not commending it. I've just come across it um, as an illustration of the fact that it, for many people today, we mention the, the name Hagar. It reminds us of women who are suffering and who are hard done by it and who are left in a difficult situation, left to raise children by themselves, um, suffering at the hands of their, um, of their masters and mistresses and um, in a bad place. And uh, if you have time, you might want to look out for some information on these things. But in Southeast Asia, where I spend a lot of time, I'm certainly familiar with the fact that there are many Hagars 
women of poor background, so-called darker skin, living in the homes of rich people, uh, often leaving their own children behind for years at a time, often being betrayed by their husbands, sometimes being sexually abused by their masters or mistresses, um, sometimes just working so hard that they drop with exhaustion. It's another whole story in that. And in many ways, um, it's appropriate the story of Hagar reminds us of the other side of the story. Well, as I said, there is one hero in the story. The angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. It was the spring uh, that is beside the road to Shur. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, he still addresses her as servant of Sarai, um, reminding her of, of, of her responsibilities. Where have you come from and where are you going? And she answers very honestly, I'm running away from my mistress, Sarai. She had good reason to run away. Um, she was being honest in her answer. Uh, then the angel of the Lord told her, go back to your mistress and submit to her. Um, a hard message, but um, Hagar recognized this is not an ordinary visitor. This was the angel of the Lord. Um, and the angel of the Lord makes the promise, I will increase your descendants that they become too numerous to count. The same promise made to Abraham or Abram. Uh, the angel of the Lord also said to her, you are now with a child and you will have a son. You will name him Ishmael, for the Lord has heard of your misery. Ishmael means uh, God hears. Ishmael, uh, God hears. And indeed, that's what they did name the son. Abraham obviously had heard this story, and he agreed with the naming, God hears. Um, we don't know why uh, God plans things this way, but he tells her he will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone, and everyone's hand against him. And he will live in hostility towards all of his brothers. Um, strange kind of promise. It's, uh, there's many things here we don't understand. Uh, but the point is that God heard Hagar in her difficult situation, sought her out, and she recognizes this. She gave this name to the Lord who spoke. This is quite remarkable. This servant woman um, has had literally an epiphany. She's met the Lord himself, and her doctrinal understanding is, is very clear. She understands she has come to a position of true faith, it would appear. She said, you are the God who sees me. She recognizes what has happened. This is not just some odd stranger on the path. This is not just an angel. This is the God who sees me. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. This is the, this is the true Lord God. And he's, he's heard my cry. He's, he's found me out. Um, I know that uh, he sees everything that happens. And this is why the well was called Beer Lahai Roy, and it's still there. Okay, and the passage ends with this two verses. So Hagar bore Abraham a son, and Abraham named him Ishmael. That was the name that the, the angel of the Lord had told um, Hagar to give to the son. Ishmael, God hears. Abraham was 86 years old when Hagar bore him Ishmael. So 11 years after moving to Canaan um, and... Uh, trying to um, find a way of uh, having God's promise fulfilled. But finding a way, it, it's pretty clear that in the wrong way. I mean, this was not what God intended, but God still blesses. So what do we, what do we draw from this? Well, I think um, there's a few things that are clear. There's many things that aren't clear, but there's a few things that are clear. Firstly, good people can make mistakes. Um, that story of Abraham and Sarai really is a wonderful love story. They were clearly deeply in love, and that was the reason that the whole relationship with Hagar, even though it was Sarai's idea, went sour very quickly because it changed the dynamics between husband and wife. Um, and it had bad consequences for Hagar. I mean, it was a difficult thing. They made mistakes. It's, it's pretty clear. You can't excuse this any other way. 
And good people can cause hurt and harm, and that's what they did in this case. They hurt and harmed each other. They hurt and harmed Hagar, um, and uh, it was a mistake. I mean, God at the end of the day says that Abraham lived by faith, and he credits it to him as righteousness, and he's rightly a hero, but it's, it's, he's a hero like us. He's an ordinary person. Uh, what other lessons can we learn? Well, God sees all. As, as Hagar said, this is the God who sees me. God sees all, and he cares for all. God cares for Hagar. He really cared for Hagar. Um, he sought her out in the desert twice, uh, because we have that second reading in, in Genesis 21, and, and saved her. Um, even though she was low status, and in the eyes of, of Sarai, you know, she was a dodgy character um, who was disobedient. Well, she was disobedient, but, but God was concerned for her. Uh, and here's where it comes personal, uh, because this is really uh, our story as well. Um, we are like Abraham and, and Sarai. We have um, faith and we're given promise of grace to come. And yet we make mistakes. We fall short, even though we know what we should do. Um, if you haven't figured it out by now, your parents are not perfect. Your pastors aren't perfect. Your elders aren't perfect. The church is imperfect. And, of course, one of the hardest things to deal with um, as I approach my 50th birthday and having come from a weekend meeting old friends uh, from 30 years ago, uh, the, the, the awful realization that at this point in life I'm so far from being perfect and after so many decades of being a Christian, fall so far short. Um, this is uh, the reality, and yet God seeks us out and God cares for us. God seeks us out in our troubles. And what happened with that promise to Abraham? Well, that's for next week, of course, but I'll give you uh, a hint. God works out his purposes. God works out his purposes regardless of the fact that we mess up and make wrong decisions. Now, sometimes in Sunday school or even in church, we might give the impression that if we stray off the path and make a mistake, you know, we're told teenagers out there have a relationship with the wrong guy or girl and, you know, you make a mistake and your life is wrecked. Well, we have to be uh, careful about our relationships but thank goodness, thank God, that uh, this doesn't depend upon us. God works out his purposes even when we make mistakes. As Christians, we backslide. As husbands and wives, we backslide, we make mistakes, uh, we fall short. That doesn't destroy everything. It doesn't depend on us being perfect. It depends upon God working out his purposes, which he does. So ramifications for us, well, we're reminded again of that very old, but very simple, but very deeply, profoundly important lesson that we must continually commit our way to God. Abraham and Sarai should have asked God about how they should proceed, uh, how the promise would be worked out. It seemed like a good idea at the time that Abraham take Hagar. It was a bad idea. It ended with lots of misery. Uh, we're always in danger of making these mistakes, and so we must keep coming back to God and asking for his guidance. We must be very careful with our relationships. Um, uh, in many ways, Abraham, Abraham was quite a remarkable husband. He hadn't taken other wives. He'd been faithful to Sarai. He'd been clearly deeply in love. And yet this, this fix to their problem uh, was a, a fix that was going to cause trouble, and uh, it was foolish. And uh, we can do the same thing in our relationships as well. We have to be very careful. We must continue to trust God. And our trust is based on the God who sees us, as Hagar recognized. God sees us. Now, that's scary because he sees all of our mistakes, all of our sins, all of our failings. 
but it's also wonderful because he sees that and yet he seeks us out and he doesn't give up on us. And uh, that's grace. Uh, that's why we can, we can continue to trust in God because if it depended in part upon us, even if it was just 5% us and 95% God, that 5%, you know, we would mess it up and uh, we wouldn't have any certainty. But it doesn't depend on us at all. It's 100% God. Our responsibility, though, is to trust and seek out God. And uh, we must have a, we, we must, I think, also learn from God's attitude here, the, the Lord's attitude. Um, uh, Hagar knew him as the angel of the Lord. She recognized the angel of the Lord was, in fact, God himself. She recognized the doctrine of uh, that moment of epiphany that she was meeting with God. Uh, we know him, the angel of the Lord, as the word of God, as Jesus Christ, and we have a fuller knowledge um, and we've seen how he lived his life, as John says in John's Gospel, chapter 1, that we saw, we've seen his grace. And we've seen his grace and glory um, lived out. We can see his, his compassion, we can see his mercy, we can see his servant heart. We, we know him as our servant king. Uh, he's our great example. And just as he sought out Hagar in the desert twice and saved her, um, I think we have a responsibility to Hagar's as well, people like that. So in conclusion... Uh, the God who sees us, we serve a God who sees us, everything, all the time, without exception. And he not only sees us, he seeks us out. He sought out Hagar twice in the desert. And he seeks us out not to reprimand us, to chastise us. Uh, he gives us instructions. She had to go back to, to Sarai in this chapter. But he seeks us out primarily to save us, to bring us into a relationship with him, and, and to work out good, as our memory verse says, um, for those who love the Lord. Um, he works out everything uh, for good. And that's the great hope that we have. It's not depending upon us. It depends upon God. And that's the hero in our passage. It's God himself. Not Hagar, not Sarai, not Abram, but God who was there for them and is here for us. Let's pray, shall we? Father, we give you thanks that you are here for us. Thank you that Jesus uh, has come into this world for us. Thank you that we know you even better than Abraham and Sarai and Hagar could know you because of the word of God uh, coming as a man. And Father, help us be encouraged by that thought and help us to have the heart of Jesus and to seek out others who are lost and help us to be part of your mission of rescue uh, to seek out those who are suffering and those who are broken and uh, to bring the, the message of hope and your grace to them. Thank you that you've done it in our lives and we pray that you would make us conduits of grace to others. We pray in Jesus' name.